Hello, my name is Alice Turner, and these are the tales of the Great Transfiguration. New Year's is on the horizon. For many, it's a time of buying gym memberships and half-hearted self-improvement. But for the people of Providence, New Year's marks the anniversary of the Great Transfiguration. The parents of the octopus girl walk along the shores of Swan Point. Jack Zachary Johnson and the veterans of the Battle of the Bubble Bath spend the last few days of the old year shooting cans off the fence posts. And the artist Arthur Barlow works around the clock to put the finishing touches on the city's magnum opus. Hi, Arthur. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. As I understand, you've been commissioned to carve a statue in commemoration of the Great Transfiguration. You'd be correct. Though I suppose I wasn't really the first choice. No? Of course not. I only got into the arts about a month ago, but all the other sculptors that were working on this piece kept transforming. The first gal that got the job, she turned into a cement mixer a couple months in, and it's been a gong show ever since. Becky turned into a butterfly. Thomas turned into a fire truck, I think. No, no, no. Thomas turned into a fire ant. Sam turned into a fire truck. And then Courtney turned into a cloud in the shape of a dog. At least most people said it looked like a dog, but I always figured she was open to interpretation, you know? (laughs) And that left you. That left me. This seems like a pretty important job. A statue to commemorate the Great Transfiguration. Were you the only artist left in town? I, I I don't mean to sound rude. It's just that you said you'd only recently gotten into the arts. <laughs> no, it, it's all good. Uh, I never used to be interested in stuff like this. I always just figured it was beyond me. Yeah, you know how it is. You look at someone doing something and you think to yourself, oh, I, that could never be me. <laughs> my, my daughter used to be a painter when she was younger, back when she still lived in Providence. She'd be out painting in the front lawn, bright colors, She always painted with the brightest colors. I'd go out there, see her paintings on the lawn, and I'd ask her, Oh, what's that supposed to be? (laughs) Uh, She hated when I asked her that. (laughs) Because she wasn't drawing, or painting actual pictures, right? She just did colors and shapes. But she'd get so mad, and she'd say, uh, It is what it is, Dad. It doesn't always have to be something. (laughs) But it was something. She created something, even if she didn't know what it meant. It was all a bit beyond me. We put up her paintings all over the living room, her mother and I. I'm still trying to figure them out. Ah, (laughs) sorry, uh, what was your question? Why did you take the statue gig? Yeah, why me? Right, uh, why me? (laughs) After my daughter moved away, this was a good couple years before all this transfiguration stuff, After she moved away, I was feeling lonely, so I went to an art gallery downtown. Oh, it was a lovely place. Beautiful marble floors. They were so clean, you could see yourself in them. So I went to this gallery, like the lonely old man that I was, and I slipped on those polished marble floors. I split my head open in the middle of the exhibits. Needed 18 stitches along the back of my head. Mm, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember sitting up, which you are not supposed to do, and looking down at that pool of blood on the marble floor, and, and, I, and I thought to myself, that's me. That's me down there. No, but it wasn't me. 
right? Because I was still me. The blood was just a part of me. Once it left my body, was it still me or was it something else? <laughs> it was kind of both, right? I think that's how it feels to be an artist. Is that how you feel about your contribution to the statue? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Look, between you and me, there's no way I'm finishing the statue in time for New Year's. I barely know what I'm doing. I, I've been chipping away at this piece of marble for days, and it looks no less like a chunk of rock than when I started. What's it supposed to be? Me. You? Yes! That's me in there. Look! There's my eyes, and my mouth is right here. <laughs> look, it is what it is, okay? It might not look like it, but I'm in there somewhere. While Arthur might not consider himself a professional artist, the statue that he and his contemporaries have been working on is truly arresting. At its heart stands the form of a massive albino alligator bursting out of the marble. It's incredibly lifelike. This depiction of the instigator is 20 feet tall and masterfully sculpted. Surrounding this alligator are those caught in the crossfire of the Battle of the Bubble Bath. They appear to have been carved by a different artist. They stumble over themselves, covered in bubbles. Not quite as accurate as the alligator, but still a feat in its own right. And then comes the animals. Antelopes carved out of the limbs of people, silhouettes of birds etched into the perfect scales of the alligator. And finally, a contribution from Arthur's predecessor, the objects. They're simplistic. The talent pool in Providence has no doubt dwindled since this statue was commissioned, but their sheer magnitude is staggering. Dozens of lopsided toasters and washing machines, a half-finished refrigerator, it's hard to describe, like a Renaissance painting with people and creatures overlapping everywhere you look. After spending some time in Providence, I've come to realize that it isn't as chaotic a place as you might imagine. It's not some war zone full of people turning into tigers and hand grenades. I mean, they do. Tigers are literally everywhere. But things have settled down quite a bit since the early days of the Great Transfiguration. Miracles are still a big part of everyday life, but nowadays people just call into work when a traffic light turns into a palm tree and everyone understands. While the rate of transformations might have slowed down, that doesn't mean it hurts any less when someone you love changes into something else. Hi. Come on in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming by. Here, let me take your coat. Oh, come. Sit, sit. This is Nancy Daniels, a soon-to-be single mother. Four months into her pregnancy, her husband, Kevin, transformed into a gorilla. He lives in the parking lot behind their apartment. Nancy says she'll often find him staring through the kitchen window while she makes dinner. He wears a simple sticker on his chest. Hello, my name is Kevin Daniels, Transformation Class 1A. Nancy thinks Kevin's official identification probably got lost in the mail, or it was never issued in the first place. But it costs $50 to get the government to reissue an ID. 
$50 Nancy doesn't have at the moment. So she did what many in Providence do. She went to the dollar store, bought a package of Hello My Name Is stickers, and identified Kevin herself. Have a seat next to Lacey. Lacey, Stacy, this is Alice. We met the other day at the Sacrificial Blood Drive. Hi, you must be the reporter. Hi, it's nice to meet you. You too, thanks for having me. Of course, the more the merrier. We've got punch and virgin mimosas. Nancy, are you ready for presents? Can we do presents? Here, open mine. The very hungry caterpillar. My mom read this to me when I was little. It's the deluxe edition. There's a couple extra pages where the caterpillar eats a mango and a kiwi. How thoughtful. Nancy's about nine months pregnant, and her friends decided to throw her an open-door baby shower. Her little one-bedroom apartment is full of people from all over Providence. An older man in his 60s found Nancy after presents. He was wearing a warm sweater with a name tag on the chest. Hello, my name is Dorothy. I managed to catch the tail end of their conversation. I, um, I heard about your situation and I just wanted to say that if you ever need to talk or something about anything, uh, just give me a call. Thanks, Louis. I, I appreciate it. It's tough. Every day, it's tough. When <clears throat> Dorothy changed, I didn't know what to do. One day you're sharing a home with the love of your life, and the next day they're a sweater. It's a massive change, but eventually you get used to the new normal. He's still out there. Not the way he used to be, but he's there in a new way, you know? It's funny. He startles the neighbors and dents the cars. <laughs> I've never been scared of him. Well, Kevin always used to put the king in King Kong, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always a gentle giant. Yeah. Well, uh, Dorothy and I had better head out. It's getting late. I'm always a phone call away. Take care, Nancy. Thanks, Lou. Drive safe. Nancy's evening is full of little moments like this. Moments with people that get it. There's a sense of community in Providence that I didn't expect. Only a year after the Great Transfiguration and everyone settled into this new normal. They still mark the occasions. They celebrate the birthdays and the babies. But their conversations are familiar and strange all at the same time. So how are you feeling about giving birth for the first time? Excited? Nervous? Yeah, a little bit of both, I guess. That's natural. It's a baby. It's a monumentous event. One minute you're you, and the next you're two. I feel like I still don't know what I need to know, you know? Is it the birth stuff or the mom stuff? All of it, I, I guess. I've got very narrow hips. We love your narrow hips, don't we? You're very slender, yeah. Plus, with modern medicine these days, you'll be fine. Well, what if the doctor turns into a fish or something mid-delivery? They've got doctors on standby. You think the hospitals haven't adapted? I went in for a breast exam the other day, and she turned into a sheep mid-squeeze. They have a guy just pew-pew, shoot him with a dart, tag him, drag him outside, and let them loose. 
A replacement was there in minutes. What if I don't have minutes? You're tough. You'll have a couple minutes. What if the baby transforms? That doesn't happen. Well, it happened to Gwen. It's rare, though. Gwen gave birth to a painting, easiest birth the doctors had ever seen. Out popped up a rolled-up piece of parchment, all fancy-like, wrapped up in a pretty red ribbon. Apparently it transformed in the womb. What, it, what was it a painting of? Did you see it? They put it up in the living room. Gwen loves it. Says she tears up every time she sees it. You've seen it. The painting she's got of a sunset. I suppose it does pull a room together. But if I'm honest, I don't get what all the fuss is about. I don't know. I've never seen an orange like it. It's nothing to cry about, though. What if it's a sunrise? Hmm? The painting. Oh, maybe. Here, open my present next. You're never going to guess what's inside. After Nancy's baby shower, I met up with Adam Hayes at Swan Point. We stood in the hole in the grass by the ocean where the old lighthouse used to be, before it turned into an alligator, before Adam's daughter turned into an octopus, a time when things were the things that they were and nothing more. A friend of mine's super pregnant. I mean, you should see her. She's huge. She's expecting any day now. I'm kind of worried about her. I was wondering if you had any advice for soon-to-be parents. Hmm. When Bella and I were expecting, we read through every parenting book in the library. Eventually, I branched out to other species. Did you know that an octopus will give its life to raise its eggs? They'll stay with the eggs until they hatch, not even leaving for food. Eventually, they starve to death. It's an extreme measure, but their dedication gives over 70,000 babies a chance at life. I think she's just having the one. Do you have any advice for a human woman? You know, by the time Angela was born, I'd already forgotten most of the mammal advice. Did you know that an alligator knows how to swim the minute it hatches? It instinctually knows how to survive. An alligator is born and immediately knows how to be an alligator. I guess people aren't so lucky. It takes us a while to figure out how to walk, how to talk how to be ourselves. But we get there eventually. Takes a while to figure out how to be a parent, but she'll get there too. Remain calm. A potential airborne threat has been detected heading southbound down Swan Point. Those in the Swan Point area are advised to head for shelter. Ooh, we should probably get out of here before it starts raining refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. You sound like a real local. Right? I've even started carrying those Hello, My Name Is stickers around in my wallet. Just the other day, I saw a peregrine falcon turn into a disco ball. No way. It was quite the sight. It plummeted a good couple hundred feet before exploding on the intersection outside the library. Luckily, no one was hurt. I think it was probably just excited for New Year's or something. Tomorrow will be my last day in Providence, New Year's Eve. The city is buzzing as we get ready to celebrate the official anniversary of the Great Transfiguration.
Hello? Arthur? How's the statue coming along? When I returned to Arthur's workshop that evening, the door was unlocked and the building was silent. The statue was just as I'd left it, an incredibly detailed marble alligator surrounded by chaos. Tucked into the corner of that cacophony sat a stone lump, vaguely humanoid in shape. The only new addition was Arthur's finishing touches, two dotted eyes and a cracked smile carved into the face of the stone. And there, standing across from his creation, was Arthur Barlow, transformed into the most perfectly polished block of marble I'd ever seen. It shone so beautifully I could see my reflection in it. Before I left, I gave Arthur his last rites. A sticker reading, Hello, my name is Arthur Barlow. Transformation Class 1B. The last artist in Providence. Tomorrow, on New Year's Eve, Arthur's statue will be presented in the town square in all its unfinished glory. I've been Alice Turner, and these are the Tales of the Great Transfiguration. Thank you for listening to Tales of the Great Transfiguration. This episode was written by Ben Townsley, with direction by Andrea Sardison, and featuring the voice talents of Ardith Boxel, Rena Jolly, Kara Joseph, Ross McMillan, Geneviève Peltier, and Ray Strong. Our sound designer is MJ Dandenot, with audio engineering by Daphne Finlayson. Tales of the Great Transfiguration was produced by the Village Conservatory with the Crescent Arts Centre. Support for the show is provided by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Winnipeg Arts Council. For more information about this podcast, please visit villageconservatory.com slash tales.